This week on The Future of Sex... So, there were 6.3 million virtual reality headsets sold last year, and this is just the beginning, of course. Gaming and porn seems to be the two natural things that VR is made for. It's been going on for 50 years, but going very, very slowly, and suddenly in the last three years, right. three it's, technologies it's, it's, it's made age a we're living store. in, these computer-based tools can always surprise In you. the next few years, humanity is going to go through a shift, I think. Hi, I'm Briny, and welcome to The Future of Sex, the podcast that explores the evolving worlds of sex and tech. This is the final episode in the first season, and today I'll be having a conversation with Ross Dawson, a futurist who has some very specific predictions about the future of sex. Now, I can't think of a better way to close out the season. But before we get started, we just want to remind you, this podcast contains explicit language and adult themes. So make sure you've got headphones in if there are little ones around. Let me start by introducing the very special guest for today's episode, Ross Dawson, because Ross was the initial catalyst for beginning this podcast. We met in Sydney when I was doing research for the project and realised we're both studying the future of sex. Now, Ross has a publication called futureofsex.net. And of course, I have the podcast, futureofsex.org. So between his .net and my .org, we're pretty much covering the future of sex. And last year, we collaborated on a report together where Ross had some incredible predictions, including... By 2028, over a quarter of young people will have had a long-distance sexual experience. 3D printed body parts of your lover, enabled with touch feedback, will add intense realism to long-distance sex by 2025. Adult performers and some B-list celebrities are predicted to sell robotic replicas of themselves designed for sex by 2033. One in 10 young adults will have had sex with a humanoid robot by 2045. And first dates in motion capture virtual worlds will become popular by 2022. If you want to learn more and get your hands on a copy of the report, visit futureofsex.net. And of course, we'll be talking all about these predictions today. And I want to preface this by saying Ross is not only concerned with the future of sex. As part of his advanced human technologies group, he's also looking at the future of business, the future of media, finance, and many other industries that touch our daily lives. Ross travels the world, helping major organisations think about the future. And as you'll learn, the future of sex ultimately ties into every piece of this. I'm Ross Dawson. I'm a futurist and entrepreneur. So I think and communicate about the future and not that long ago as to, you know, there was a role of technology in, in sex. But now it is becoming more and more a mainstream topic. We're seeing this in all sorts of uh, uh, mainstream 
publications are writing about certainly robot sex, which is one of those things where, yes, we've seen it depicted in science fiction for decades even. And now people are realizing, well, actually, this isn't that far away. And understanding that, you know, just as we use Skype to you know, have conversation with people, that we're having other technologies that are enabled to engage at a distance. So this is really becoming, I think, pretty much mainstream, where even a year ago it, uh, it wasn't quite there. I'm completely convinced that within about 40 years, people will be falling in love with robots and even marrying them. 37-year-old Dave Cat from Detroit says he has been in a relationship with his sex doll for more than 10 years, and it's in it or in her that he found his better half. So if you look at the pace of the underlying robotics technologies at the moment, the one of the ones which is developing the fastest is in terms of the emotional engagement piece, the artificial intelligence, so that we can uh, be, begin to have conversations with machines, uh, including by voice, in ways which we will, you know, very soon. I think in the next, you know, certainly, certainly ten years and possibly even five years, begin to have, you know, conversations with machines that we feel are uh, are, are engaging, in which where they can certainly. Uh, you know, develop, you know, evoke our emotions. In some some of the robotic things, in terms of being able to truly uh, stand and to walk around naturally in a human fashion, are quite a lot further out. But uh, what we're seeing from you know the technologies coming from the the real doll sector is is you know getting some very realistic uh, people and. and we need to develop more natural skin and so on. But this idea of you know, sex robots being you know, something which are truly attractive, I think it's, it's interesting that so far no, no, none of what I was, I've seen as a sex robot I would really call attractive. But we are getting to the point where they are becoming attractive. Uh, I think there will probably be a lot of engagement where you can actually have a conversation before or after any, any sensual interactivity which is, I think, you know, a key part of human sexuality as well. And so if we're looking at how we're going to, how's this going to happen, how are we going to monetize it, these become alternatives. If we're looking out certainly to the uh, 1940s, that's you know, over 25 years out, I think it's pretty safe to say we will have some very compelling uh, you know, potential partners in, in robots. And some of this will be monetized along the way where... It's one thing to have a, you know, for example, a, a porn star on a movie. It's another thing to have that as a, as a physical embodiment. Uh, so I'm sure you know, this will be, people will explore these paths. We have a reference point in the, the movie Her. And so this is now, you know, very... Everyone's able to engage and to talk about that movie where a man falls in love with his operating system, and you know, and nothing was depicted in the uh, the movie that was uh, physical at all. But I, th I I think we are at the point where we will start to engage emotionally, and, and this is not new by by any means. I think for a long time. You know, people have given names to and related to uh, the machines in various ways. And we are 
pretty, we're getting pretty good at being able to essentially reverse engineer human emotions to, to build engagement. Getting the true conversations uh, as part of that is where, where we're really on the threshold of. The, the, the pace of advancement in uh, artificial intelligence is, is, is quite exceptional at the moment. So really at the point where we can, over the next years, see some real emotional engagement. And I, I think you know, there's whole domains where there's no physicality, but we will see more and more people starting to have conversations and emotional relationships with you know, the conversational interfaces that are sometimes designed to do our shopping that, that actually are pretty good at uh, you know, keeping us happy and amused, to ones that are specifically designed to be a companion uh, of various guises. These are absolutely, could become very large you know, in the next three to five years and beyond. So it's, it's quite simple then to say, well, here are all the physical aspects, be that in a robot or other, other devices which engage us physically, and integrating those two services. But I think that with, you know, take, just taking out the physical part, we will see as a massive space, both designed for that purpose and in terms of other uh, being used for other interfaces, that we will get to be designed for strong emotional engagement with our um, uh, with computers. I think that terrifies some people. It does, and I, I think, well, just taking one step back. So, so for example, I often say that you know, robot customer service will be often better than human customer service because once you start to use machine learning to understand the, the nature of people's moods and their interactions, it will start to know for a particular individual is when they get angry in a particular way that this is the way in which you can best make them happy again. You know, in the conversation. So it's starting to, to learn us better than you know, most humans can. Some humans will always have exceptional skills of that. But we will also be able to design machines that can actually calm down somebody who is, who is angry by knowing what it is to, to say at the right time, in the right way, in the right tone of voice. Hello, I'm here. Hi. Hi. What's it like to be alive in that room right now? I wish I could put my arms around you. I wish I could touch you. How would you touch me? We will be emotionally engaging with machines. We will be able to do that. And whether we see this as utilitarian or, or good for us and providing more engagement or something which is deeply and desperately, uh, desperately dark and... Uh, I, I, I think we're going to see some very fundamental differences of opinion and many people who think that this is an abomination. And I think in many of the technologies that we've seen, people have felt uncomfortable, but it's it's almost creeps up on you. And I think that's what's happened with privacy, where it's in, in many ways quite horrifying, the, the lack of privacy we have. And a lot of people have been somewhat uncomfortable with it for the last decade or two. But it's still crept up on us. Ross's comments reminded me. Five years ago, we used to think online dating was weird. Today, it's weird if you're not online dating. 
innovations in technology and how we use it gradually become part of the furniture without us even noticing, don't they? It's very hard to respond to something which is creeping into every aspect of our lives. But we will, we, what we will do, and I think this is more broadly one of the things I see in the future of humanity, we will get people that, uh, amongst other things, choose to augment themselves with technology and do not choose to augment themselves with technology. Uh, we'll see people that choose to you know, engage fully with technological interaction and others that may choose you know, not to have any what they perceive as emotional interaction with machines. And just as we are seeing the divide between those people that fully engage with social media and those that say, well, no, this is not something that I choose to do. The thing that, it, that sort of crept up, I feel like, um, over the last year and is very much a real part of people's lives now is virtual reality. Um, we haven't talked about that and sex yet. What do you see in the future of sex and virtual reality happening this year? So there were 6.3 million virtual reality headsets sold last year. And this is just the beginning, of course. Uh, as we all know that the virtual reality uh, adult entertainment is uh, growing rapidly and will expand as we start to see more, um, you know, more devices in homes and better quality of devices. And the next you know, step from that, of course, is bringing on the other uh, physical aspects which make it, you've, people more immersed in those scenes and various technologies that are coming out to um, you know, basically complement virtual reality as a visual experience with uh, the physical uh, experience and engagement. So this is, yeah, and it's, it's one of the things where I think it is very hard to predict. And I think there's where how how comfortable people will feel with that? You know, do they feel having this rig at home will be something which they are comfortable with in themselves or want to hide or, um, or, they, or just feel is just giving them some you know, incredible experience that they wouldn't have uh, otherwise? So the technologies are getting into place, certainly in terms of the virtual reality. The, the other physical complements to that are uh, being developed and will that you know that the fast slower pace on that so two five um, you know ten years for really good uh, ways where you can match the physical experience with uh, what you are seeing. I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about uh, you know the future of sex in the medical profession and how that sort of challenging the boundaries of sex, of sexual pleasure from the lab-grown genitals to just people, you know, considering themselves cyborgs and the biohacking of their bodies. Yeah, I suppose the concept is there are more and more ways to augment you know, ourselves from how we are born. This will apply in many domains, uh, very much, of course, in, in our intellect and be able to have implants or other things which can increase our intellectual capabilities and our physical capabilities through from exoskeletons to other things. Now, in the uh, domain of sexuality, one of the obvious domains is in our genitals. And yeah, I don't doubt that there'll be people who are wanting to augment themselves um, you know, beyond anything which we've had so far in terms of their uh, yeah, 
sex organs. Um, but also, but also in terms of our bodies more generally. So how can we augment our bodies generally and uh, make ourselves more feel more sexy or to appear more sexy to others? And so there are adventurers who will say, well, why just have one sex organ, for example? Or what are, you know, what are entirely different ways in which I can be a sexual being? I don't doubt that there will be people that choose to completely imagine their their sexuality to be be both male and female by genetic engineering, or to indeed, you know, become take three-way relationships, you know, where you actually have ways to be able to, you know, simultaneously be with more than uh, in a in a triad, or to be able to uh, find other, you know sexualized parts of your body which are not currently considered sexual or there's you know once we can control our bodies and shape our bodies which we are at the point of doing there are a few not many of us but a few who will use their imaginations beyond what you or i can imagine to be able to explore that into domains which cross the sexual The way Ross talks about the future of sex always gets me thinking about what's next. I hope he left you wondering about how communication, biology and other technologies are enabling these new expressions of human sexuality and both our individual and the cultural society responses to these are creating significant shifts for our future and it might just be in the next couple of years. What is the future of sex? Oh, well, I hope that it is one of greater sexual expression. And, and that's not just about the technology. And often, you know, I, for me, I talk about future of sex as you know, the, how technology shapes that. But going beyond that, you know, the history of humanity is largely of sexual repression. And if we look at the future of sex, I would hope that it is one where we can not just ex- have, yeah, well, to have the fullest possible sexual expression and beyond even what people know of themselves, to be able to discover themselves and to express that. And that is far more a social shift than a technological shift. Some of the technologies may facilitate that. For example, with futureofsex.net, we have looked at this idea of sex robots helping people to discover parts of their sexuality that they would be too afraid to to express with a human lover in the first instance. The future of sex is one where we we have and we we have full sexual expression, which is full human expression. It is such a fundamental part of our humanity. If we're not fully sexually expressed, we're not fully humanly expressed. We're not expressing our potential. So that's what I see as a direction, not fast enough, but which we are heading in, and one which I I fervently hope that we will fulfill in years to come. Thanks for listening to Future of Sex, the podcast that explores the evolving worlds of sex and tech. And thank you so much to Ross Dawson for being a part of this 
final episode. Yep, that's the final episode for season one. It has been a wild ride to say the least and we've all come a long way. But don't worry, season two is already in the works. It's bigger than ever and it's going to come with some incredible resources alongside the podcast. If you'd like to get involved as a partner, please contact me at bryony, B-R-Y-O-N-Y, at futureofsex.org. And you know what? I'm particularly interested in what you'd like to hear on the next season. So if you have a good idea, something you'd like to hear about, something that's been on your mind since listening to the first season, or even just places where you do listen to it and things you've been talking about, I'd love you to let me know. And I'll be sending out a short survey to listeners and you'll have the chance to win some amazing prizes. So tell me everything. And don't forget to sign up for the updates at futureofsex.org. This podcast was produced and edited by Chad Michael Snavely. To get in touch with Chad or check out the other podcast Chad is producing, visit chadmichael.com. And hey, this might just inspire you to start your own podcast. If you have any questions about podcasting, I could not recommend Chad enough. So that's visit chadmichael.com. And if you have questions or feedback for me, you want to keep up with what I'm doing while I'm recording the next season, follow me on Twitter at Bryony Cole, or again, shoot me an email, bryony at futureofsex.org. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll talk to you all soon.